Hello and welcome to episode four of 27th Heaven. I'm Fabian Erdaya, the Angels beat writer for The Athletic, and I'm joined in this episode by Brent McGuire, who is a podcaster, podcasts for Locked On Angels, and also writes at Crashing the Pearly Gates. Hey, how's it going, Brent? I'm doing well. How about yourself, Fabian? Good, good. I mean, this has been a wild homestand, to say the least, so I'm sure we're all catching our breath. We're recording this on April 7th, the off day before the Angels head to Dunedin, Florida to play the Toronto Blue Jays uh, as part of a, their first road trip of the season. Um, it's been, as I said before, like, it's been a weird start to the season. It, it's hard to really find a good place to start, but I guess there is no better place than to start with how Shohei Otani has looked, and especially with his start on Sunday. Uh, I think from a media perspective, I'm sure from a fan perspective, it was sort of an interesting I, it was sort of like a very obviously very anticipated outing, but it was like everyone sort of was watching with bated breath in a sense to sort of see what it looked like. I think we saw the stuff over the spring, but I guess seeing it in a real regular season start and seeing him do both uh, was obviously a lot different. I'm sure you had sort of the same impression going in. It was crazy. I mean, just like yourself, I think coming into spring training, the expectations were a little tempered just because what Otani is doing is obviously it's incredibly difficult. It's hard to do what he's doing and seeing what he's done, not only over the course of spring training, but over the first week of this season is just insane. I mean, just looking at that game on Sunday alone, I mean, the guy comes out in the mound, the first inning and hits 101 miles per hour, bottom of the inning hits a ball, the farthest home run of his career, the hardest hit home run of his career. I mean, it is just it's inconceivable to think that he's capable of doing these things. I mean, the numbers are all there. The entertainment value is obviously through the roof. And like, even just like another fun part about Otani so far this season is like the many emotions that we've seen from him. I mean, on Monday night's game alone, after getting hit by the pitch, we saw him waving uh, Mike Trout's home run goodbye. I mean, it's, it's been a lot of fun. I, I have really enjoyed it so far. Yeah, I've always said like his base running is the most underrated part of his game. I think the fact that he has like a very memeable face, uh, it, it's very much up there. Uh, I think there's a couple of guys like that on the team. Like Anthony Redone obviously makes a lot of really interesting facial expressions, stuff like that. But yeah, he has a very memeable face. But like uh, with that outing on Sunday, I mean, he, I, I know it's just one outing, uh, and I know it's sort of like you're gauging one outing versus two months of 2018. And even then, that was like a small sliver. But I think. I mean, you could argue that he looked better on Sunday than he ever has, especially on the mound, as far as, like, he hit 100 miles an hour more times in that outing than he had in his entire career entering uh, Sunday night. Uh, the splitter was dropping like crazy. It, he had better command of his slider for most of the night. He barely threw his curveball, but uh, when he did, it was effective. And the spin rates were up across the board for the second consecutive outing, so that's something to keep an eye on going forward. But – I mean, it seemed like the stuff was really popping for him uh, and it translated onto the field as well. I think you sort of saw the first couple games of the season. Uh, he was still hitting the ball hard, but he was, he was pulling the ball uh, a lot more than he had all spring. Uh, and he did obviously on Sunday with a home run, but you sort of saw like something clicked for him at the place that he felt near perfect uh, at the plate because uh, he hit two balls pretty much 110 miles an hour and he hit two balls on the screws and it just seemed like the two things played off of each other. And it's something that we, I hadn't seen him look like that overall confidence wise, stuff wise, performance wise, all in one game like that. 
Yeah, you just summed it up perfectly. I think one of the things about Otani is he's always shown these tools, but they've kind of come in various different forms at different times throughout his career. But as you mentioned in like your story uh, over about his offseason and just getting healthy, I mean, that's such a big part of all of this. I mean, just in the first week alone, like we've talked about so far, we've seen the elite fastball velocity. We've seen the stuff on the mound, just eye-popping stuff. We've seen the big home runs. And then you mentioned the speed. I mean, the guy has a triple already. I know you said they overruled that that ruling yeah. uh, for that that triple. We've seen the speed on the bases. I mean, everything is coming together. Obviously, it's one week. You're talking about him doing this over a full season, and that's obviously the, the hardest task in all of this, but it's a good start. I mean, he's showing everything so far. He looks like he's having fun. He looks like he's comfortable, and that's a great start for both him and the Angels. Yeah, when you mentioned it's over a full season, I've had like a sort of thing. I, I mentioned like the last episode with Jack Harris, just like the Sotani optimism meter. Uh, it's sort of like it's it's not just on like one outing. It's like, all right, can he do this over the course of a full season? And I think I think Sunday pushed it higher than it's ever been for me, even higher than it was in 2018. Uh, just because in 2018, even coming in, you sort of knew he had the grade one UCL sprain. You were wondering there's a lot of stuff you were just wondering. and You knew they were being cautious with him for all these different reasons. They're not really being as cautious with him this year. He had the blister issue, but like that seems like to not be an issue anymore. And we'll see if it recurs again. But that if that's the biggest hurdle in terms of him being able to stay healthy on the mound and the fact that he's been able to do both so effectively so far and show that he can do both in the same game, I think that pushes it up obviously higher than it's ever been. Cause I even then, because it was like two, in 2018, I, I only I started covering the team in May 2018. So li- literally like the last couple starts before uh the blister issue and the elbow uh, started giving him trouble again. But like that was sort of like, a, I think I wrote it like it was like a novelty act in a sense. Cause you sort of just like once one day a week, this designated hitter was going to get a chance to pitch and he looked really good when he was pitching. But like, this was just like this once a week thing. Now this feels like it's like an actual cycle. Uh, he's going to be able to be part of doing this and he's playing pretty much. He's only taken one day off and so far out of the first six games. Yeah, you just touched on it perfectly. I, I have a lot of people ask me about like, how are they going to do this? How are they going to make sure that he stays healthy? And like, I'm sure you know, as well as anybody, like, I don't think there is an answer for it. I don't know if there's a perfect scenario to do this. I think the easy answer is pick one or the other, but that's not fun. We don't want to see that. We want to see Otani doing both of these things. But yeah, like we talked about in 2018, they were trying this very uh, strict schedule where he was going to pitch this day. He was going to sit on the days surrounding that start. And then he was going to hit the rest of the time. It didn't work. And quite frankly, I don't know what the answer is. I would just do whatever he wants to do. If he's feeling comfortable, just, just talk to him, see how he's feeling day in and day out, let him go out there and do it. And just kind of go day by day throughout the season. I'm sure there are going to be points where he's tired and needs a day off. Maybe it's a couple days off, but at this point, I think you just go full throttle, see what he's able to do. That's pretty much what the Angels are doing, too. I think we sort of saw on Sunday, like, an injury can happen at any point. Like, that that slide at home plate, like, that could have happened if he started once a week. If he didn't start once a week, that that was just a fluke thing. Um, but, yeah, I think sort of leading into the conversation about that inning, like, I think the big part of having that conversation, that constant dialogue with Shohei Otani, and for this to work, it's going to rely a lot on trust. And it's a lot of trust that's built between Shohei and the front office and with Joe Madden about so he can be honest about how he's feeling going into each day doesn't feel like he has to take a day off or feel like 
he has to push it to sort of prove anything to anyone. There's a lot of trust in there. And I think you sort of saw that building into this. I, uh, Joe Madden said that Shohei came up to him before that opening series against the White Sox and said he wanted to play all four games. That's why we saw him hit the day before he started for the first time in his U.S. career. Um, and then you sort of saw the other side of that in the fifth inning on Sunday where Joe Madden gave Shohei Otani the chance to get out of the inning. He gave him the chance to sort of push it. I obviously it, it's April, so we're not going to go too much into like uh, bullpen decisions and stuff like that because it's still too early in the season uh, to really measure a lot of that stuff out. But obviously you had, they had two guys warm for two batters uh, and Joe left him in there both times after already saying on the broadcast that he was close to his pitch count, which was going to be around 80 to 90 pitches. He finished with 92 pitches, I believe. Um, and he gave him the chance to do it. And he, he technically got out of the inning. Uh, it sort of was one pass ball away from getting out of the inning. And obviously that's a lot different look. If it's five innings, one run, two hits, uh, seven strikeouts, obviously the five walks aren't great, but you saw the command was only starting to really fade in that last inning there uh, when he got a little bit tired. And yeah, you Jim, did. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, go sorry. ahead. <laughs> uh, you just kind of touched on the, if Max Stassi catches that ball, we're not really having this conversation anymore. I, I will say there was a lot of discourse about Joe Madden leaving him in. It, it's understandable there. I think there's a little PTSD based on what happened the last time he was on the mound last year yeah. when he was, that extended. was a different case in my opinion. Oh, totally. He was totally overextended. You could see the fastball velocity going down by like every single pitch. I believe his last pitch was like, or second to last pitch was something in the upper nineties or a hundred, something like that. Like the stuff was still there again. I think this it's he hard to won that inning. Yeah, that, that's what I mean. I mean, he was still throwing hard. The stuff was still good. Like you mentioned, the command was not there, but the stuff was there. It wasn't, he wasn't losing any of that as the inning went on. And something that I think that's a little underrated talking about this is I think Madden was actually trying to get Otani through that fifth inning so he could qualify for the win. Now, I think you and I know that wins are not the best way to gauge a pitcher's success, but for Otani himself, if he's able to get out of the inning, the Angels go on to win that game. Otani gets the win. That's a huge thing for him. And I think that's kind of an underrated part of all of this discourse. I, I say so. I, I do, wouldn't say it's necessarily as much the win as it is like being in that spot and knowing that your manager trusts you to get out of it and giving him the chance to do so. Uh, I think that's sort of what Joe Madden was more hitting on more post game was talking about like that. That's how a guy becomes a guy. And I think, I mean, for Shohei Otani to be like, if he's like, full strength, full potential, maximize Shohei Otani. He's the ace of the staff. Like I, he has the best stuff of almost anyone in baseball on pure stuff alone. So if he has the chance to sort of get these mental reps, get these physical reps of getting out of that spot, that's going to make him a guy. That's going to give him a chance to sort of take those strides forward as a starting pitcher. Cause he hasn't had just a chance to pitch all that much since 2016. So like these are different things that he hasn't had the chance to really pitch through before as much, especially not the big league level. So having a chance to do that while his stuff was so good, like was I surprised that he was still out there? Absolutely. But I think after the fact, I think you can understand a little bit of what Joe Madden was going for. I'm not saying I fully agree with it or anything like that. I think I just understand the logic of why he wanted to go through that decision. And if you look at through the lens of trust, all of a sudden Shohei sees the trust that, Joe Madden has in him and there's a trust there and I think 
even after the uh, collision with Abreu, I mean, Shohei was, as he was walking off the, uh, off the field, he was telling Joe Madden he wanted to go in there for one more batter. And Joe said, like, that was it. So uh, I think he sort of saw, like, a lot of different sides of Shohei in that outing. You saw, like, competitive side. You saw, you saw like, him be emotional in a sense that he hasn't really been in since 2018. I think the big moment that everyone thinks of with Shohei Otani is that first start at Angel Stadium. Uh, coming off the mound, uh, getting out of the jam uh, against Oakland and sort of punching his glove and, like, yelling. We saw that again, like, against Luis Robert. Like, that was the first time. It, and it, it was happening. He, it happened as he was releasing the pitch. Like, he sort of knew. Like, you saw a certain swagger to show him Tanya that we haven't seen. And I think it's different because like, you see him. And he's like this, like, cherubic guy, young-looking guy. He's 26 years old, but he looks like – he still looks like a teenager in a lot of ways, just a very, very large one. Uh, and he's like this calm, easygoing, easy to smile guy. But like to see that edge to him, I, it's rare that we get a chance to see that. And obviously like, obviously that's in there. Otherwise he wouldn't be able to be who he is. You bring up very good points. And it kind of goes back to what we were saying about Otani having a very memeable face. And I think that's obviously been something we've seen a lot of so far. And that's kind of like a trend for the Angels team as a whole. I don't know if there's just a different edge to this team, I don't know if it has anything to do with the fact that they're playing in front of fans again. I'm sure that's a big part of it, but we've just seen some sheer raw emotion from so many different angels, like throughout the first week that quite frankly, we didn't see last year barely at all. And the year prior. So I don't know if that's a change in philosophy, the way they want to go about things, but they're showing a lot of excitement. I think Otani has kind of been the leader on that front. Yeah, it's it's definitely notable for sure. I would also point to Jose Iglesias' presence. I think we saw that over the course of the spring. And that's something that they pointed to as part of like when they acquired him. That, that was sort of the thing that they liked about him was sort of how he handled that clubhouse and how he was sort of that sort of guy. Uh, I think you're sort of starting to see um, more of a settling in period uh, this year where guys are a little bit more relaxed or more. It, it's that year two with Joe Madden we're getting a chance to sort of get that feel for how he's going about things. You're able to do things a little bit more naturally now than because uh, the COVID protocols are a little bit more relaxed and they're going to get even more relaxed as more and more guys get vaccinated. Um, but uh, that's, I mean, we're seeing that effect. I'm not sure how much of an effect that's going to carry over the course of the season. We'll see once they hit that first slide and stuff like that, but like they've gotten off to the best start that they've gotten off to in years since probably that 2018 team. Uh, and it's shown. Uh, I think it shows the way they play. It shows when I mean, they've had pretty reliable pitching throughout this entire uh, season so far. I know it's only been one turn through the rotation. We haven't even seen Griffin Canning pitch yet. Uh, but the bullpen on the whole has been pretty good. Even with Rice Elias having some struggles, like even then, like it's he's the stuff still looks good. There's still a reason to believe in him. Uh, so it, it's still like like it's been a good bullpen so far on the whole. It's been a good rotation so far on the whole. And I think the offense has been as advertised. And there really is a, there hasn't been a giant hole in the lineup, maybe at the bottom uh, with Dexter Fowler struggling a little bit to start. But other than that, like it's been pretty balanced from the start. I think you're starting to see that. Like this is a team that obviously is talented. And I think it, what has been missing the last few years has been the other stuff, the stuff that sort of like raises the baseline of this team. And that's basically what the offseason was about, was sort of raising the baseline of this team. And we're starting to see a little bit of the results. 
no doubt. And you, we talked about Iglesias kind of being a guy that can raise the bar at shortstop. Jared Walsh giving you production kind of in the middle of that order. Even Chris Rodriguez coming in and just giving you multiple like dominant innings in the middle of the game after maybe a subpar pitching performance. That's a big deal. And I think another part about all of this is I don't think it's just the fact that the Angels have started four and two. It's the fact that they did it against two pretty darn good teams. I mean, some of the pitchers that the Angels went up against in the first series against the White Sox, very, very good. And then splitting a series with the Astros, I mean, that's a big deal. And I think one of my biggest concerns coming into the season was just that start to the year. I mean, they're going on the road and playing four more against the Toronto Blue Jays. These are tough matchups to start off the season. And honestly, if they're just staying in these games, if they're kind of settling above 500, they're in a good position to do some damage for the rest of the season. Yeah, I think... I think we sort of saw the chance for this last year in a sense. Obviously, it was a different roster. Like There's a lot that's changed from last year's roster, but I think we saw, like, a lot of the bones were already in place. Uh, and you saw like the path to like getting to the postseason with a shortened season, and they just got to such a bad start. Such a bad start. And I think that sort of uh, sort of compiled on, compounded on itself. And like the 2020 team, I think, was a, more, a lot more talented team than the 2019 team, a lot deeper. Uh, you're starting to see that a little bit more in 2021 because they're probably even deeper now uh, in terms of just you can, you have more trust and belief in Jose Quintana, uh, Alex Cobb, and that sort of group than you did in Julio Tehran, even before Tehran showed up to summer camp last year throwing like 88. Uh, so, um, yeah, you're seeing a little bit more of this team and you're seeing them play really well against tough teams. And that's going to be really interesting to see how much they can carry on through this April and how much this sort of sets things up for them. Obviously, Oakland's off to a terrible start. Obviously, they're going to tr- turn around at some point, but, like, things are looking up. I mean, there's there's a reason for optimism right now. Obviously, it's April, uh, but it's early, and they're performing really well, and we'll see how much they can carry on to that over the course of the season. I mean, there's a lot that's already happened this week, that, uh, and we'll see how much that continues to impact the season. I, I think, uh, speaking of things that just – happen over the course of this week it's crazy to think that it wasn't even a week ago that the angels gave david fletcher a contract extension and it's just like like oh okay david fletcher's here forever well for the rest of his career it seems like at least most of the rest of his career but potentially through his age 34 season uh with the two club options i'd imagine the angels would try to pick that up if he replicates some of the defensive production alone uh, what, what was your sort of your reaction to the fletcher extension because i know it was something that made a lot of sense for both sides, but it wasn't necessarily like it sort of popped up last minute right before the season started. Yeah. You were on that David Fletcher extension train for quite a while. And it, it, it made so much sense for so many different reasons. And I don't like to just say it's a win-win for both sides, but looking at it, it makes way too much sense for the angels. You're locking up this guy, a homegrown guy, great story, very good player. You get him for, you know, the next uh, half decade and more. And the production's there for Fletcher. Yeah, he's probably underpaid based on what he might have gotten in free agency, but he probably wasn't going to get that much in arbitration just because of some of the numbers he posts, I believe. In Ken Rosenthal's piece, he talked about the fact that David Fletcher hasn't hit 10 home runs in a season. He hasn't stolen 10 bases. Those are things that maybe it's not fair, but they're, they're looking at those things in those cases. And I think for Fletcher, he's a he's a hometown kid. He gets to stick around. He got financial uh, support. He's going to be just totally fine for the rest of his life. And 
with the expiring CBA after this year, I think there was some uncertainty. And again, it made total sense. It's a good move for both sides. And I was not at all surprised to see it happen. Yeah, and I think you touched on something where it's a team-friendly deal. It is. Um, it's going to help the Angels going forward because even as they go into this winter, I'm sure they're going to be going in on some of the top shortstops available in the free agent market, like the Correas, the Seegers, the Stories. Uh, but even if they don't get one of those guys, even if they don't get even get a Javi Baez or if Jose Iglesias even leaves, the Angels have a cheap solution at shortstop that they can roll out next year and feel really good about in David Fletcher. I think defensively alone, uh, he brings that sort of value uh, to the roster, also defensive versatility. I mean, he's going to make Perry Manassian's job easier throughout his time here. Uh, just the fact that you can have that guy and you feel good about him just about anywhere you put him. Uh, and if offensively he continues to be what he was in a short season last year, which is maybe show a little bit more power, but he is also like this extreme contact guy you can have at the top of the lineup. It just makes a ton of sense. Uh, and you touched on it. like it, He got the highest guarantee of any player who's uh, – gotten big league service and never had a double digit home run or stolen base season, uh, which I'm sure that's sort of how uh, his side is selling it in terms of getting his value. We'll see like how much value he could. It's hard to really tell how much value he could have gotten in arbitration or as a free agent. Uh, I mean, he gets a lot of plate appearances, a lot of hits that that would help, but it's not necessarily like that's going to knock him over the top and make him this um, all-star like, get paid sort of like to the same value he would get if you look just at war totals and stuff like that so i think it's fair for the most part and i think it's going to help the angels and dave fletcher going forward it's made all the sense in the world obviously they haven't locked up a long-term extension with dylan bundy yet that's the other major free agent pending free agent that i imagine they would want to keep around andrew heaney possibly as well depending on how he performs this year but i think we saw with how dylan bundy has looked in his first two starts like that's that's a guy you want to keep around. And he, it looks like he might be getting better in a sense uh, in terms of like the fact that he's throwing harder when as a result, partially he's getting more spin on his pitches and his stuff is mo- still moving really, really well. And it doesn't look like 2020 is a fluke yet. Dylan Bundy probably, I don't know the details behind it, but Dylan Bundy felt like a great extension candidate coming into the year. And my concern is the more and more he starts this year, the more expensive he's going to get because he's going to get closer to free agency. And if this velocity maintains, if he hits 95 a couple more times this year, I mean, that's a big deal for him. I genuinely thought like the velocity was not coming back. And then all of a sudden he's throwing two to three miles per hour faster. That's a big deal. But yeah, I mean, talking about Bundy as an extension candidate, he's got everything you want. He's probably not, he's not a true ace in the sense of like, he's not, a Shane Bieber, Jacob DeGrom or something like that. But he is like the Angels ace. He can give them tons of innings. The durability is there. The stuff is getting better. He's still young. I mean, it's crazy that he's only 28 years old, despite everything that he's been through. So, yeah, I'm trying to wrap my head around what an extension would look like. And I think they need to explore it sooner rather than later. But he feels like the obvious guy to try to throw a contract to right now. Yeah, it's weird. It's like Dylan Bundy's been in our lives for a decade now. I mean, he debuted in 2012, and he's still only 28 years old. But yeah, you're completely right. I think the thing that's really interesting about it is it's a weird free agent starting pitching market. Uh, I mean, Lance McCullers signed his extension, so he's not going to be a free agent after this year. Um, There's Clayton Kershaw, Zach Greinke, 
Justin Verlander, Max Scherzer. I'd imagine all those guys are probably going to try to sign either with the team that they've been with or with a team that they know they can like automatically is directly in World Series contention. So I'd imagine it's going to be tough for the Angels to try to land any of those guys. But then that next tier is going to be like Noah Syndergaard, who's coming up Tommy John surgery. Uh, Eduardo Rodriguez, who didn't pitch last year uh, because of complications from COVID. And we'll see how he looks this year. And then it's Bundy. I would throw Bundy in that group. Uh, he's pitched to that level as the same level as those guys. And I'd imagine the angels would want to try to keep him, keep him around and we'll see how that turns out. But he certainly has made himself a lot of money the last couple of years at going into his free agent years, which is crazy to think about considering the trajectory his career appeared to be headed on uh, before the angels traded for him. It's pretty wild. Even when they traded for him, I was kind of a fan of the move because you could see some of the underlying yeah. numbers, like throw more sliders, throw more change-ups, maybe not use the fastball as much. He's moving out of Baltimore. All of those things pointed in the right direction, but he's made 13 starts with the Angels, and his ERA is like 3.36. He's been worth about two wins in fewer than 100 innings. I mean, really, really good numbers. Again, he's got a very interesting free agency case, like you mentioned. I'm wondering if he wants to bet him bet on himself at this point, because if he does this over a full season, he's going to make a lot of money. And I'm assuming a lot more than he would, if he were to sign a deal right now, but I don't know. I'm curious to see what direction they go in. Yeah. I mean, I like the trade too, when it first happened, but I think I have to go back and look at what I wrote at the time, but I think it was sort of like, all right, he'd be a solid number three starter. He's been really healthy. He'll get you 180 innings, which the angels haven't had in a while. Maybe they can fix a couple things. And he can be a slightly above league average starter. He's been better than that. Like he's been better than that for sure. And with the stuff bouncing back the way it has, it'll be interesting. Uh, the first turn through this rotation has looked pretty good. And I think it's sort of helped the bullpen in a sense. Like I've mentioned, like they've, I mean, the bullpen has had moments where it's been gassed in a sense in that first weekend. That's why we saw Griffin Canning sort of warming up on Sunday night uh, for extra innings. But like, it's been a good kind of burn. Uh, in the sense where, like, you're just trying to keep games close that were already close. Uh, I think you haven't seen, like, too many bullpen mishaps, which is crazy because this bullpen came together at the last minute. And part of the reason why that bullpen came together at the last minute, obviously, was uh, Ty Buttery and his decision uh, to walk away from baseball. Uh, it was, at least for me, having covered him, like, it was a little bit of a surprise. Obviously, he's been a super, super introspective guy, a guy who likes to talk – who likes to talk about things other than baseball all the time and was a guy who was very self-reflective a lot of times whenever I talked to him, especially about his pitching and stuff like that. And he seemed like a guy who was like trying to find every way he could to get better. Like it's not like he wasn't trying to get better or anything like that, but I think you could sort of, t I think after reading that post afterwards, like a lot of things sort of click into focus where like, yeah, you could sort of see uh, where it's just a lot on some, on some of these guys. And if you're not a hundred percent in with this, if this isn't hundred percent what you want to be doing, it sucks. Like it's a great job to have. Like you said, it pays really well, but there's a lot of work that goes into it just to get ready uh, to be a pitcher, to deal pitching through pain a lot of the time uh, just to, and having to be so precise with all these different things with your mechanics, just to make sure your pitch moves within the one inch. So it doesn't get crushed. Like it's pressure. It's a lot of pressure and it's a lot of pressure that, you're not fully invested in, I, I can totally understand where Ty is coming from in terms of like just maybe that motivation not really being there long term. I think it's an important reminder that 
professional athletes are human beings too. And I know there's a very misguided common belief that these guys are making millions of dollars. Therefore they're happy. And we, we know that's not how it works. We saw with Angelton Simmons last year dealing with depression and just going through a hard season. I mean, it's, it's important to remember how hard last year was for everybody. Nobody was like excluded from the madness of 2020 and for professional athletes, like they were playing a shortened season with no fans. They were putting their lives at risk to a certain extent by going out there and playing games with no vaccine or anything available for people. So I think it's important to remember that. And like you said, I think it was very uh, telling to see how Buttry responded to all this and just having that introspection and just talking about these issues. I think it's important to just continue to have these conversations and just remember that these guys are human beings too. And they have feelings just like the rest of us. They're all going through things, despite the fact that they're playing a professional game and making more money. There's still a lot of things that these guys are going through on a day-to-day basis. Yeah. I, I think we, like you mentioned, Andrew Simmons, it's harder. I like this time of be, I mean, beginning of last year, we were talking about if Mike Trout was going to play the season. Like that was, that was a legitimate conversation. Like it was a possibility because like he was trying to deal with, is this the right thing for me and my family? I mean, his wife was pregnant with her first child. Um, it was sort of like just trying to figure out like what's the best thing for him and his family. I think that's the common thread here. Like do what's good for you, like good for you, do what's good for your family. And like, it's not like Ty Butchery like made a ton of money in his time in the big leagues. Like obviously it's good money in general, but like he made close to the league minimum basically his entire career. And he was a minor leaguer before that. And he was, I think he was, I want to say he was a fourth round pick or he was, he was a relatively high pick, but it's not necessarily like he was a, he went one, one and was going to be guaranteed all the signing bonus money. Like he was, he was a guy who had to sort of grind his way to get to where he was even at age 28 in his career. Uh, so, I mean, this is, this is a big sacrifice. I think uh, it's obviously something that like I, I'm hoping for the best for him and his family going forward. I hope he finds the happiness he's looking for because like he, in all accounts covering him, he was a really good guy to talk to uh, and uh, really nice to cover. And, um, yeah, I mean, he, I hope he finds what he's looking for because like, you don't see athletes uh, be introspective like that, especially in a public forum. Yeah, and I think that's something we're starting to see more often is just people opening up about these things because, like, again, like I just said before and like you mentioned and summed up perfectly, like these guys are going through things just like the rest of us. And it's for a long time that was not an avenue that was really available. Players probably didn't talk about these things as often. So I will say it's good to see that this is becoming more available to players to have that platform to talk about these things and just let people know like, Hey, like I'm going through some stuff too. Like it's okay if you are. And I think that's a, that's a positive development, not just for baseball, but for society at large. Yeah. I mean, obviously the angels have uh, on the field managed to, put together a pretty solid bullpen. It'll be interesting to see what it's going to look like in a couple of weeks when uh, Felix Pena is ready to come back. Like who comes, who goes down? Uh, it'd probably be someone between Aaron Sluggers and Chris Rodriguez, just because they have minor league options available. Uh, the other guys uh, pretty much don't, but like those guys have both looked really, really good this year. Uh, it's a good problem to have. And I think that's part of like how, why Paramanasi went out and got three guys when we thought we were getting, they were getting one guy possibly before the season started. Uh, we don't know what James Hoyt looks like yet, but he's a guy with uh, some big league experience who looked really good in a small sample last year. Uh, Tony Watson has looked pretty good 
uh, so far. Steve Ciszek had, had the rough first appearance, but like it still seems like, I mean, that slider still plays. Like it, it, we'll see how, how it looks over the course of a full season. It seems like these guys are all very fluid in the roles outside of uh, maybe Iglesias and maybe Myers. Uh, it seems like those guys are pretty much locked into what, what they're doing. Uh, but other than that, like it seems like a lot of different guys who can do a lot of different things, and we saw that over the course of this weekend. I think this bullpen is going to be a work in progress for the first month or so. Like yeah. you talked about before, that the bullpen basically came together at the last possible second. And again, I saw discourse about Madden's bullpen management, and I, to his credit, he's dealing with a completely new bullpen. There probably weren't defined roles other than Rice Iglesias closing games and Mike Myers pitching in the late innings. I think there is, there's going to be some moving parts to start the season. And I think we're going to see a lot of up and down movement. You just mentioned James Hoyt. He's got those options. So you can bring him up if necessary. When, um, if Chris Rodriguez needs some time off, if there's an injury or something, I think we're going to see a lot of moving parts. And I think the same thing applies for the rotation, just touching on the rotation really quick. I will say I'm much more optimistic than I was about a month ago, I mean, Alex Cobb just set a stat cast record high for himself with, I think it was 19 swinging strikes in his first start with the yeah. Angels. I mean, that's a pretty big deal. I know you talked about him going to driveline and working on some things. He's looking better. So I'm cautiously optimistic about this pitching stuff. I don't think they're going to be a top five, top 10 unit or anything like that, but they don't need to be. They need to be right in the middle of the pack to just supplement a really good position player unit. Yeah, and I think... Even like Kitana, like Kitana had the worst start probably of anyone in the rotation. Um, and uh, although you can argue Heaney, but Heaney was more like that second time through. The first time through, he looked really, really good. I think it was more like a quick adjustment. Like he just overthought it and started going uh, breaking ball change up more often than he needed to. Uh, and that's something he's talked about working on. Uh, Kitana, like it just seemed like the command wasn't there. And it was like come and go. And when he had it, like he was missing bats and he was avoiding hard contact. And when he didn't, uh, he was giving up a lot of hard contact and issuing a lot more walks, which is something we don't usually see with Jose Quintana. Uh, I think we'll see how that looks over the time, but it doesn't look like the stuff is the issue with either of those guys, uh, which is an encouraging sign going forward. Um, yeah, this is a, it seems like it's a solid rotation. It's not necessarily going to blow your doors off. It's not like you're going to be uh, like going into a playoff rotation. I don't think they stack up favorably against most of those playoff teams. But they'll be able to hang in there. I think Dylan Bundy has performed really, really well. Uh, we'll see how Griffin Canning looks in his season debut tomorrow. Uh, and we'll see. Like, uh, in, It's going to be inevitable that like we're going to see a Jaime Maria start. We're going to see a Patrick Sandoval start. We might see a Jose Suarez start. Or we might see a Reed Detmers or a Chris Rodriguez start eventually. Um, but I think we see, we've see we seen like from these six so far, like it, there's something optimistic to take from any of those guys. Part of it's because it's April and it's one start. Uh, but like, it's not necessarily like anyone you sort of see that first pitch you're like, Oh, this isn't going to work. Like we saw with uh, Julio Tehran last year, like you've seen in years past with maybe like Matt Harvey or Trevor Cahill or even like Jose Suarez, when he came up last year, I think you sort of saw from that first start, like, Oh, he's, he still has some stuff he needs to work on. Uh, so it's a sign of optimism going forward. I think uh, the rotation is going to be the big key, obviously, to the Angels being able to get to where they want to be. Them even being league average is going to be huge as soon as this lineup starts to really catch fire. I think we've seen uh, that Anthony Rendon hasn't quite caught his rhythm yet, but even then he's been like a guy who gets on base a good amount and still hits the ball hard. Like 
he's you don't have to worry about him, but you know he's going to really heat up at some point. Uh, and then we'll see how the rest of this lineup sort of picks up after that. Yeah, one final thought I had on the rotation too is because of the construction of this roster and all the impending free agents and the financial situation next year, they've got the option to go out and make a trade for a bigger starter. I know even for my sp- myself personally speaking, I I wanted to see them go out and get a bigger starting pitcher, but they're in the position now. Like if it's July and it's clear that they're going to be in the playoff hunt, but they also need another starting pitcher. Well, they can go out and do that. They've got the money to probably make it work. They've got some of the prospects to make it work. Now, I don't know who that's going to be, but I do think that there's a very realistic scenario where they're heavily looking for like a big starting pitcher at some point in July. The name I'm, I'm like, that's just like me speculating and rattling around in my head is like, is them trading for a guy who's going to be also in a, on an expiring deal, but the fact that you trade for him early, you sort of integrate him into your system and maybe find something and you keep him around, sort of like the Blue Jays did with Robbie Ray last year. Uh, I could see the Angels trying to do something like that with John Gray. I think I don't think the Rockies are going to try to move on from Herman Marquez. It seems like that front office is pretty stubborn about trying to keep him. Uh, but it seems like John Gray is the type of guy that they would let walk. So if they do decide to trade him, he's the guy who's got – Really interesting stuff. You want you wonder what he looks like outside of elevation, outside of course field. And I think Anaheim obviously is a place where if they choose to, if they're able to trade for him, the, the prospect cost shouldn't be too high. Uh, and if you can tr- like fix some things with him and keep him around, uh, then obviously maybe you have something there. John Gray has always been a guy that makes a lot of sense for the reasons you just brought up. There's one other name that we've actually already brought up on here that I've thought about a lot, and that's Max Scherzer. I don't know what his no-trade clause situation is like, but the Nationals are a very volatile team. Like They could be very good if everybody stays healthy. They obviously have a very good top of the rotation. Juan Soto might be close to the best uh, next best hitter in baseball behind Mike Trout. But if they're out of the playoff picture and he's an impending free agent and the Angels need a starter with experience, I don't know. This might be a crazy thought. Again, I don't know what his uh, no trade situation is like, but I, it has crossed my mind to think about Max Scherzer like starting game one for the Angels in the playoffs. That would be a season-defining trade, to say the least. I think the Angels would definitely be, have to already be clear-cut, like heavily in the race, maybe maybe even leading the AL West at that time, uh, just like make that be like the final piece like all right we're we're not just contending for the division we're contending for a world series kind of move uh but either way i, I i'm not to say like that. i mean max Scherzer is great like he's one of the best pitchers of his generation i don't know if the nationals the way that that front office works operates in terms of even like a sell-off at the deadline i don't think they are the type to usually do that you sort of saw that in 2019 like they were a team that were that started off so slow. They were still around 500 around uh, the trade deadline. And I think they added, like they added at the deadline uh, as opposed to selling when they could have sold. Uh, and they could have, uh, obviously they had discussions about trading Bryce Harper before he left in free agency, but nothing really ultimately came together. Uh, so I don't know if Mike Rizzo would do that. Uh, I don't know if Mac, how Max Scherzer's no trade, contra- uh, no trade clause works if the Angels are sort of including that. But, uh, I mean, obviously it's an interesting possibility. And if, it, if that happens, that gives me a lot more to write about. So uh, I, I like that. 
Yeah, no, crazy thought of mine. It would just add more storylines to this team that already has just some crazy stories. I mean, I know we kind of talked about it already, but like through one week, there have been so many stories just trying to fit all of this in. I'm sure for yourself, as someone who's covering the team and at all the games, it probably gets a little chaotic trying to write stories about all of these different events going on. Yeah, I've barely managed to even like mention that like, like Jared Walsh looks like 2020 Jared Walsh. And if he's like 2020 Jared Walsh, like he, that's obviously changes things as well. I don't think he's 2020 Jared Walsh. I think he's I think he's an above average hitter. And if he if he can be that in 2021, that changes a lot for the Angels. Uh, and I think that sort of impacts and stabilizes that lineup. I think that makes him uh, pretty much the everyday first baseman or at least the majority of the time. Uh, I think you can see him more in right field uh, a little bit every once in a while, at least until you start to see like a Taylor Ward or Joe Adele or Brandon Marsh come up and really take that right field position. Cause I don't think I, I know that the angels have gone with Dexter Fowler in right field to start the year. And uh, Joe Madden has shown confidence that he can turn some things around, but I don't think that position's anywhere close to stable uh, going forward into the season. I think you can see maybe some more Juan Lagares in there if he can sort of show that his spring was for real. And I think we'll see if there's going to be some configurations just to try to get all the guys in there in that lineup. Cause I know Jose Rojas has barely played you know, that, that Joe Madden will try to get creative with certain things. And I think right field is one of the play, uh, places he'll get really creative with it. Yeah, no doubt. I think there, there are going to be a lot of moving parts. I think there's going to be a lot of up and down movement, maybe not necessarily right away, but kind of in the middle of the season, maybe when the minors, uh, the minor league season is a couple months into the season, maybe Joe Adele and Brandon Marsh are performing. Maybe they're not. I, I don't know, but it's going to be, it'll be interesting to watch for sure. Yeah. And then Justin Upton looks like 2018 Justin Upton, which is also big. The big thing, I think the big thing, especially with the 2020 Angels, I think it was the case of the 2019 Angels as well, is the fact that like the guys who didn't perform, it's not like they were replacement level. They were severely below replacement level those at those positions. I think that made all the difference for those teams. You had not just like the 50th percentile projection season, you had like the bottom percentile projection season for some of these guys. Like Matt Harvey was unpitchable. Uh, Trevor Cahill was unpitchable. Julio Tehran, they had to pitch just because they didn't have any other options, but he performed at that level. Like Joe Adele was, I think, finished last among position players in, in war last year. And they kept playing him in right field because they wanted to give him a chance. And also because they just didn't have a better option there until Taylor Ward really proved himself at the end of the year. Like they had, it wasn't just like replacement level performances, but way below replacement level performance. So I think the more even replacement level performances the Angels can get across the board, that's going to make a big difference in the standings. Yeah, it goes back to the whole raising the floor thing that you talked about. I mean, it just, it definitely feels like there are fewer weak spots on this roster. It feels like there's less of a chance for that type of Matt Harvey performance that you just mentioned. It feels like at the very least, they've kind of raised that bar where they don't have to, uh, there's not going to be a catastrophe at one or multiple of the positions. Yeah, and I think we'll see how it looks next year. Obviously, like spinning forward to next year, it's a little bit early now to do that, but we've done that already a little bit. But like just knowing that Albert Pujols' contract comes off the books, you have a chance to possibly add another superstar level position player at shortstop. And even if they don't, they can still go out and probably try to retain Dylan Bundy or try to keep it, like, improve that starting rotation. It's not like, I mean, they have options to really take that big step forward next year. Uh, and this year is really that sort of platform year for that. 
I'm trying to like enjoy this current season as much as possible because there are going to be so many moving parts this upcoming off season. I mean, obviously there are a lot of talented players available, but there's also a gigantic uh, disaster of a CBA agreement situation kind of just waiting for us. So I'm trying to just like, okay, this is a fun season. We're going to see what happens. And then when the off season comes around, I mean, it's going to be crazy. And I don't know if it's going to be in a good way or a bad way, but it's going to be crazy regardless. True. It's just like Perry Manassian looking at his future depth chart. Oh, four openings in the rotation next year. It's fine. We're not having a season. It's fine. Yeah, it, exactly. No, I don't think that's actually going to happen, though. I think, uh, yeah, I think there's a lot of questions going into next year, a lot of different moves that can happen, a lot of flexibility that's for the Angels going forward. But I think for right now, for the season, uh, I think they're off to as good as a start as probably you can ask for. Uh, obviously, like they probably. They probably could have won either of the two games that they lost. Uh, the the first, the White Sox loss, um, I, they got within one run, and then it sort of got away from them because their bullpen just got tired. Uh, but um, that that one, I think, was less so winnable as uh, Tuesday's game. Tuesday's game was obviously very winnable. The fact that they got off to a 2 nothing lead, the offense was really quiet. They got a great start from Dylan Bundy. The bullpen was good until Rice Iglesias uh, – who, who looked pretty good for most of the outing has looked pretty good for most of his outings, uh, but just like a really one misplaced uh, fastball to Carlos Correa. That's a home run. Uh, he really didn't look good in that uh, loss to the White Sox when it was one, I think it was a one run game when he came in and it sort of blew up on him. And then obviously had the uh, throwing error in Sunday's game with blown save. But like, other than that, like the stuff has looked really good. And I think uh, on the whole, like this is a team that looks like they're, taking a step forward and we'll see if that's like an actual step forward or if it's just some really good plays in April. Yeah. I will probably find out here pretty quickly too. They've got a very tough start to the season. I mean, four games against the blue Jays in Dunedin, Florida. Like I have no idea what to expect in this series. I think they're going to be a lot of home runs for yes. two teams that have very good position players and maybe more questions around their pitching staff. But I mean, even after that, they've got games against the Royals who are going to be decently competitive. And then they come home, Against the Twins, I mean, it's a pretty relentless start to the season for the Angels. So it's a good, it's a good test. But if they come out on top, like several games above 500, I mean, that's the best start you could possibly ask for. Yeah, I think Joe Madden was asked yesterday about what he remembers about playing against Dunedin. He's like, oh, the ball flies out. So we'll see that. Uh, we'll see that over the course of the series. Uh, it'll be interesting. I don't, I don't even know what that looks like. How big league ready that looks like what that's going to look like from a fan's perspective. Like, are fans allowed? I'm, pr- I'm sure found fans are going to be allowed in Dunedin because it's Florida, but, like, are Blue Jays fans, like, flying down? Are there fans in Florida that just want to watch some Major League Baseball? I wonder what that atmosphere is even going to be like. I have no idea. Yeah, all I can say is I'm very excited to see, like, Mike Trout, Shohei Otani, Vlad Jr., Teoscar Hernandez, uh, Bo Bichette, like, just launching home runs. I Like, for a neutral baseball fan, this is going to be probably a very entertaining series. For Angels fans, it might be a little more chaotic because I think there are going to be a lot of runs scored for both sides. Yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see uh, how close Felix Payne is to coming back because they might need a fresh arm in that bullpen by the end of the series. Absolutely, yeah. It's, it's going to be madness. I'm very curious to see what happens, though. Yeah. Um, so that will wrap up this episode, episode four of 27th Heaven. Uh, thanks again to Brent McGuire for joining me. Where can people find you? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at BMAGS94. And as Fabian mentioned at the top, I'm hosting the Locked on Angels podcast and writing at Crashing the Pearly Gates. 
All right. And thank you, Brett. And we'll have another episode for you next week uh, to discuss all the craziness that happens in Dunedin and in Kansas City. And thank you for listening. And this has been episode four of 27th Heaven.